Morning, church. Second week of Advent, 87 degrees. Some of you are dressed appropriately. In shorts, I like that, that's nice. So we're building bridges. Uh, last week, if you were here, uh, we learned in the first Sunday of Advent that Jesus holds together the tensions, the tension between lament and hope, and he arrives in the middle to hold those two together because a strong bridge is held together by tension. And when Jesus, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, enters into the midst of the tensions of lament and hope, we're not left in a place of lament. We're driven forward to hope, right? Amen. And today we want to talk about uh, Jesus um, and the role that a bridge plays in carrying us over something treacherous or chaotic. How many of you remember, how many of you have had children or had children? Okay, so, did you ever play the game when you were driving as a family way back when we drove places and didn't fly as much? Uh, do you remember driving and you came to a bridge, did you ever play the bridge game? Where you hold your breath, so you can hold their breath the longest as you cross the bridge. Did you ever play that game? Well, we did. And uh, let me back up for a minute because you know this about my family. So we have three boys, right? God bless my mother and father. And when you have kids, everything's competitive. If you have three boys, everything's uber competitive, right? Everything's just, you, you make competition out of breathing, and so we were always looking for ways to compete with each other. So again, the bridge game was pretty cool. And I think my mom and dad introduced it just because they knew that they would get at least 30 seconds of perhaps silence. So the bridge game, right? You, you start across the bridge and you hold your breath. And you see how far you can go without talking. And if you make it to the other side, you win. And if you were in... Uh, a tight race with one of your brothers or siblings, you might punch them and then they would have to breathe. <laughs> right? That's the kind of deal, right? So the bridge game. But the cool thing about the bridge game was, and I can remember this, there was always something inside of me that felt anxious. There was something inside of me that was always wondering whether the bridge would hold, which is a strange fear when I'm a kid. So I'm, I'm holding my breath, trying to win, and looking to see what we're going over, and is the bridge going to make for a safe passing? That's the bridge game, pretty simple. And I can remember that like it was yesterday plus a couple more years, I suppose, if I'm honest with you. So that's the bridge game. What's interesting about Psalm 85 and this whole bridge metaphor at Advent and praying the Psalms, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about the Psalms are the prayer book of the Bible, is this notion that bridges carry us over something treacherous, something unpassable, something maybe the land ran out. Jesus does that as a bridge. So functionally, strong bridges carry us safely from one side to the other, and we 
traverse something treacherous or chaotic or unpassable. So let's take a look at Psalm 85. I'm going to read this text, these 13 verses, slowly because this morning we're going to create a song of salvation, and there's three verses to this song as I see us unpack Psalm 85. If you have your Bible, open it up, Psalm 85. Psalm 85 is a salvation song. It's got three verses, and we're going to traverse something treacherous. And I think we also just might find that salvation means something more perhaps than we thought it meant originally. All right? So here we go. Psalm 85, chapter, or verses 1 and 2. Verse 1. Notice what salvation is, always has been, always will be. You showed favor to your land, O Lord. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity or the sins of your people, and you covered their sins. Our salvation song, verse 1 of our three verses. Now, what's interesting about this is how simple it is, right? What is salvation? The, the question in the text this morning is, what is salvation? What salvation does Emmanuel, God with us, bring? And the classic definitions usually go something like this. Jesus saves me from my sin. Jesus saves us from our sin, right? Does that sound familiar? <laughs> right? It's a great start. The other things that are implied in this text that are there as well is, notice the land is restored. Favor is restored to the land. Fascinating to me. Because when the land flourishes, all people flourish. When sins are forgiven, God is engaged in Jesus Christ. So there's this holistic, abundant notion of a flourishing life. Not a bad word to remember on the second Sunday of Advent. Now where this song gets a little bit trickier is in verses 3 to 7. And let me tell you why. So I've struggled with this a lot this week. The, the uh, lectionary omits verses 3 to 5, or 3 to 7. The lectionary omits it. The reading for today is Psalm 85, 1 and 2, skipping verses 3 through 7, picking back up in verses 8 and carrying us through to the end of verse 13. So for me, I'm just really curious about why they chose to skip verses 3 through 7. In fact, I'm kind of irritated about it. I just don't understand it. But let's read verses 3 through 7. And try to get our minds wrapped around this. Holding in our minds as well the beginning of our psalm, which is what salvation really is. Restoration of the land. People flourish. Forgiveness of sin. And God is engaged in the whole dynamic process. Now most of us would say, check. Wilson is pretty well within the boundaries of orthodox theology, at least over the last 75 years. Right? Right? Okay, thanks. Just want to make sure you, know, you were with me on this moment. Then there's this interesting and perplexing omission of verses 3 to 5. So let's put it back up on the screen, and let me take us through it. You set aside all your wrath. 
Well, now I know why it's not in here. And turned from your fierce anger. Ooh, now I really know why this is all in here. We don't like an angry God. We don't like a fierce, wrath, despot kind of God-like figure. And then he goes into this lament. Restore us again, O God our Savior. Put away your displeasure towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through the generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Stop. Pause button. Verses 3 through 5 I get why the lectionary folks took it out. It just doesn't feel good, does it? It kind of messes with our image of this loving, holy, and just God. Because we want to feel good. And then there's these verses. Why are these verses there? It's curious. It's bewildering. It's perplexing. It's uncomfortable. Why is God so angry? What does it mean for God to be angry? What is all this stuff, God's anger, that Jesus the bridge needs to carry us over? What is that there for? Well, first of all, what do we mean when we say that God might be angry? Have you ever thought about that? It's pretty easy to understand, perhaps, why God might be a little bit upset. <laughs> you know, we could create a whole lot of treachery underneath here. In fact, let's do that for a minute. What kind of treachery... Do human beings create when God is removed from the picture? Just jump in and yell it out super loud. Greed, thank you. War. Selfishness. Racism. Materialism. This side's on fire over here. Materialism. Anger. Thank you. Rage, anger. Dishonesty. Fear, Islamophobia, I think I heard that. That's a good one. Child abuse. Child abuse. A lot of chaos. A lot of chaos. When we remove Emmanuel from the picture, all kinds of chaos. Now, remember when we defined really what salvation is? Land that flourishes, people that flourish, sins are forgiven. God is engaged in this process. Yet when we forget what we're always supposed to remember, or perhaps, try this emphasize, this is where I've, I've really been stuck this week. Perhaps when we make salvation only about verses 1 and 2, perhaps God becomes slightly frustrated. Our English words are words like wrath and anger. But perhaps the wrath and anger of God is less an angry despot in the sky 
and more indifferent to the ways in which we go about doing life if we're only left with our first verse of our song. That's why we got to go to verse 3 really fast. Because this, this psalm continues. And it really goes quite a bit deeper. So let's pick up verse 8. Verse 3 in our song begins at verse 8. Hang in there with me. I think it'll all come together in a couple of moments. At least I hope so. (laughs) I will listen to what God the Lord will say. He promises peace to his people, his saints. But let them not return to the folly, the chaos. Yeah, we've been forgiven. Yeah, the land flourishes, the people flourish. But when we make it only about that, perhaps chaos ensues. Jesus crosses us over the treachery to bring verse 1 and verse 3 together as a new definition of salvation. Hang with me. I think it's important. Verse 9. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Here it is. Are you ready? This is perhaps one of the most beautiful texts in all of Scripture, if not for sure the Psalms. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Eugene Peterson translates this as follows. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. In the streets. Love and faithfulness meet. They embrace. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. And faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. All right. Let me do a big picture overview one more time, and then we're going to drill deep into verse 3 into these last verses, 8 through 13. So today we're building a bridge. Jesus saves by crossing us over treacherous places. We're writing a song of salvation. What does salvation actually mean and look like? Verse 1. Again, review, right? Verse 1 of our salvation song. Salvation, the land flourishes, all the people flourish. Our sins are forgiven, God is engaged. Perhaps, just perhaps, when we make salvation only about forgiveness of sins, chaos will reign. Chaos will reign if it's only about that. As great of a start as that is. It just launches us 
into the work of salvation that God is about. And if we only make it about that, perhaps the wrath and anger is really more of a divine indifference. And he just says, wait a minute, they've got their emphasis on the wrong syllable. I'm going to let them make it all about the forgiveness of sins and fire insurance. And I'm going to let the chaos unfold and ensure that nothing actually changes. But if they stay with me and they allow Emmanuel to enter in in a very disruptive manner at Advent, there's a shot, there's a chance, there's a possibility that we can make it from only salvation of sins across the bridge of treachery and understand the fuller, deeper dimensions of what salvation actually means in human history. Which is this amazing Amazing verse. Love and faithfulness will embrace righteousness and peace will kiss on Bradford Avenue. You see, we like to come to church and sing fabulous songs. And by the way, everything was fabulous this morning, eh? Wasn't it? Wow. Because we want to feel good. And that's easy to do when it's only about forgiving me of my personal sins. <laughs> we could do that really well. The church in the United States, we have a market on it right now. And the cool thing about folks like you is that you're willing to engage the scriptural text and understand the fuller dimensions, the deeper dimensions of what Jesus Christ says when he says, I have come to bring salvation to all people. It means salvation of sin. God is engaged. It means the, the land flourishes and all people flourishes. It means more than that. It means that there's compassion and faithfulness and justice. And peace. And it's a different kind of justice than only the rule of law. This is where I get nervous. You see, oftentimes the rule of law serves to benefit the powerful and entitled elite. Yet God's rule of law is different because God's rule of law is always about raising up those who live on the margins and giving them an established foot in this game called humankind. Is this a powerful text today or what? Complex, right? You can say, I've been, ner I've been thinking about this. Don can attest. I've been struggling with this all week. Is this a beautiful song that you just wrote? Is this a, and this is salvation. Even the Old Testament understands this as salvation. And Jesus Christ enters in and builds us this beautiful bridge. Forgiveness of sins, righteousness, and faithfulness, embrace. And they kiss in the streets. You want to help me do something, buddy? 
You know, compassion is, uh, in the English translation, it says love, right? Um, a better, the actual word in Hebrew, I forgot my Bible, uh, is hesed. Is hesed. You, did you study this text too? Doesn't matter. Nice job. A plus. It's hesed. Hesed is the better word. In our English translation, it says love. The best word is hesed, and it's compassion. It's literally calm with the passion of God, being able to enter in to the story of another human being. And so there's this notion of compassion, hesed, and it's, it's not an emotion as much as it's a pressing passion. It's a conscious decision to always enter into the story of the other person, especially the marginalized, especially the one that has no power, the one who hurts, the one who is broken, the one who is crying, the one who is struggling. That's, that's compassion. In our English translation, it says love. I'm not sure why. They didn't ask me or you. So compassion and faithfulness, embrace. In the streets, a white guy and a Latino guy, (laughs) we embrace in the streets. And we work hard until the embrace is secure. And we listen to each other's story. And that's radically different than you surrendering your life to Jesus Christ only. You see the move here? Is this powerful? Mm-hmm. Because this is salvation. Now you can find now um, Don and Kisser. <laughs> because they kiss too, so that part... I give it to, she's there, right? Yeah. (laughs) I'm teasing you, buddy. No, you're not teasing me because I was really stressing out how I was going to kiss you in church. (laughs) No, I don't mind, but I think you prefer prefer her. (laughs) Really? Yeah. And then the verse goes on, right? I mean, it really does. It's justice. And it's not a puffed up morality, friends. This is not, this is, this justice, according to this text, is not, there's, a, there's one up and one down. That's not justice. Justice in Scripture is always a level playing field. It's always a level playing field. One is not up and one is not down. You know, if somebody feels like they've gone one down to the one up, that's not justice. Justice is according to this bridge that God has established, and it's different than the rule of law. This is the rule of God's law. And so we always have this continual struggle as the church. How do we, how do we live faithfully in a really complex, chaotic, and treacherous world? This gospel bridge. How do we do it? Mm-hmm. We always have differences of opinions. That's more of the treachery. But we stay together and we listen to each other. Mm-hmm. And we have compassionate conversations. Yeah. Because compassion and faithfulness, embrace, and then justice and peace, they kiss. How's that? 
That sounds okay. That's better. They kiss right in the streets, right here in the street. Hey, Toby, I just put it right here. That's good, man. Okay. <laughs> you know, to, to, to kind of walk from this brings a sense of scarcity. I could develop this some more, and I'm not going to. I'm just going to leave you hanging. You can walk across the bridge and, bridge and struggle some more this, this week because that's Advent. This is, <laughs> this is what Jesus does in Emmanuel. Emmanuel enters the chaos and asks us to begin this song with forgiveness of sins. Yeah, that's a great start. But when we know that our sins are forgiven and the playing field's level and we navigate the bridge, now we work. Now we work in the streets. Compassionately and faithfully for faithfully for justice and shalom. So a challenge today, ready? Who who in your life? Who is the person or people group or special interest group that that you need to build the bridge to. Because it's really all about the others. Um, and there's no small players. As long as we're breathing, we can still do it and enter into this salvation song. So let me tell you one last story. Is this cool? Yeah, I got time. So in 1892, there was a, a student who was going to Stanford University. Some of you may know this story. Going to Stanford University, 1892, he was orphaned, didn't have enough money, couldn't come up with uh, his tuition. So he and another student decided that they were going to come up, they had this great idea. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to make our tuition money by holding a concert. Podersky was a famous pianist at the time. And so they hired him to come, and their idea was, we're going to hire Podersky, he's going to come and do a concert in piano for us, and we're going to make so much money that it's going to pay for our tuition at Stanford this fall. Sound like a college student, right? Great idea. The idealism of it all, it sounds wonderful. So they contacted the manager, Podersky. Podersky's manager says, yeah, he'll come and play, but he has to have, and he was very hardcore about this, he has to have $2,000. Got to have it. Great. We're going to make way more than $2,000. Have him come, sign the contract. They went to work, these two bright-eyed, idealized college students. We're going to make it work. So they went to work. And actually, uh, a couple of weeks before the concert, they realized they probably weren't going to make uh, enough money to even just cover their expenses. And that is, in fact, what happened. They ended up making only $1,600, and they were on the hook for at least $2,000. So now, what the, when they thought they were going to make all kinds of money, not only are they down their tuition payments, but they're also down another $400. And that's before they paid the venue. Podersky finds out about this, and he says, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write me the check, give it to me, but I'm not going to cash it until you pay all your other vendors and you have enough money to cover this check. 
and then I'll cash it. Guys are like, awesome. Thank you. Well, as the story turns out, they never made enough money to cover the check, and Podersky ripped up the check. Podersky goes on, and he becomes the prime minister of Poland. World War I happens and breaks out, and Poland goes poor overnight. They had a million and a half people starving to death. Podersky, the prime minister, now comes to the United States and asks the United States for humanitarian aid. And the gentleman who was in charge of that at the time was Mr. Hoover. There's a name we all recognize. Mr. Hoover said, yeah, I'll give you all kinds of money to help for 1.5 million people in Poland who are starving. And this exchange takes place. Podersky's great... Podersky is grateful, and he decides that he's going to fly over to the United States to thank Mr. Hoover himself in person. And so he does. And when Podersky walks into the room and meets eyes with uh, Mr. Hoover, Podersky says, I wanted to say thank you very much for helping my people. And Hoover said, and I quote, there is no need to thank me. Many years ago, you helped two students at Stanford University trying to make their way through school, and one of those two. You see, true greatness is not about helping me and getting off the hook for my own personal sins. True greatness, true salvation begins there, but it crosses the bridge of treachery and it recognizes that helping other people is more important than the individual. And that's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what salvation means. And that's the whole point of Advent. Well, let's pray. And call it a day. Hey, buddy, come up here. Let's embrace again. You want a kiss? <laughs> you start, I finish. Let's pray. Father, thank you for <clears throat> speaking so clearly, clearly to us today. Uh, we want to embrace mercy, justice, love, and peace. Help us be that light and help us not to be afraid to embrace not only those uh, but also as uh, Pastor Tobin is saying uh, directly and indirectly embrace people embrace people's stories embrace people's fears embrace people's hopes help us do so, do, so, do so please por favor Señor and all God's people said Amen, Amen.